0: We are going to be in the book of Luke this morning, chapter 14, chapter 14, verses 1 and then 7 through 14. This is kind of a standalone day. We're not in the middle of a series, and so we're using the lectionary text. If you've not been with us before, we often travel through series together, and then sometimes we don't, and we return to what is called lectionary. It's a prescribed three-year reading of the Bible, and we use it sometimes. Sometimes we don't. Today we are. I'm going to grab this stool and pretend like I'm going to use it. But the microphone, if you heard it earlier, there's something with the cord. If it starts messing up, I'm going to have to sit down. We know it's not going to happen, but let's do it. All right, Luke 14, here we go. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. When he noticed how the guests picked their places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to go take a place of least importance. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, your sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the righteousness, at the resurrection of the righteous. This is the word of God for the people of God, and together we say, God. thanks be to God. As you're listening to the music, if you are unfamiliar with some of our songs, we have a new Spotify playlist. You can go check it out. Just search um, Dauphin Way Contemporary Service. We got some new songs going into the repertoire, and they're wonderful, um, but I, I didn't know all of them, but man, they were moving and they were powerful. And this morning, um, as we jump into our sermon text, I just, I wanted to say, we're doing some things a little bit different. We're adding new songs. We've got all sorts of uh, new people playing in the band. And so I figure it's Labor Day. If you're here, it means you just really love this church and you, you probably, hopefully you love me. And so I can try and do some different things too. All right. So I don't actually have like a ton of notes. So this could be a 12 minute sermon or like a 30 minute sermon. I don't even know. I just got the bullet points, all right? I'm trying to be a little more engagement. And also, anything's gonna be less than what Michael did last week. So I'm just saying. Will you you pray with me? I'm getting in trouble for that. We listen to each other's sermons every week and give feedback, so he will have heard that. All right, will you pray with me? Pray for me, yes, that's a good word too. Let's pray together. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer, we thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. The young kids these days, they use a phrase that not all of us in this room, not going to point out anybody, might not fully understand. But have you ever heard it when somebody says that you're being extra? Has anybody ever told you you're being extra or that somebody's acting Extra. Let me just, if you don't know what it is, it's, um, it's like whenever Will Ferrell in the Saturday Night Skit had the cowbell and everybody's just playing their music and he's just like banging that cowbell away, just running around, you know, hitting it real hard. And he says, I need more cowbell. He's being just a little bit like extra, you know. It's when somebody uses like constant hyperboles, like they say literally all the time, have you, did somebody in your life say literally when it's actually not literally? They shouldn't say figuratively speaking, but like she literally almost didn't make it. You mean like like a God? Like maybe, like really? Like literally, like that's a little bit extra, right? My most common way of using the term is to talk about people who are trying too hard, like that are just like all up in your business, all up in your face, to me, somebody's extra when you can just tell that they're trying to be noticed. They're like constantly like, hey, hey, I don't need to be the center of attention. I want you to pay attention to me. There are other things going on, but like, so whenever somebody's doing that, this is actually a gift that doesn't work on our pro prisoner, but like he just, hey, hey, I send that to Michael all the time or somebody else. Because it's whenever somebody like in a meeting is like, only pay attention to me. Here's my voice. Here's my word. Or it's like whenever like Andy Bernard in the office, if you ever watched that show. He, um, oh, my thing just messed up. See, I've been, I've been, this is my different thing. I'm using technology today. Will you push the one with Andy? Oh, there it is. Sorry I annoyed you with my friendship as he's like following Michael around and constantly just like repeating everything he repeats so that the boss will notice him. It's, people are often extra, they're trying too hard. When they want somebody in power, somebody with influence to choose them and tell everybody else that they are special, right? They want people to say like, oh, this guy must be important. This girl must have influence because the boss or the other people, they like him or her. But in actuality, I think we're all pretty good at sniffing out the people who you can tell are just trying a little bit too hard. They're being a little bit extra. Like our text this morning, I feel like that's kind of what Jesus is, is showing us in this gospel lesson in this gospel story, it's in two different parts, and we're going to treat it this morning with two different ideas. This first part, I think Jesus is, is, is showing that sometimes people, they want to be noticed. They want to be considered to be important. And so they go out of their way to try a little bit too hard. He says to everybody, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought Don't assume that you deserve the seat of honor. Don't go trying to be something you might not actually be. Don't be extra. I can totally imagine this dinner scene, can't you, this text we just read, where everybody's just hanging out and mingling. But there's one person who really wants to sit at the head of the table, or technically the seat of honor is right next to the head of the table because the owner of the home sits at the head right next to the person who's throwing the banquet. And so this person, they're going above and beyond to be nice to everybody. They're just like talking about how great everybody's family is. And, oh, your golf game is so good. I know it. Have you lost weight? I just tell you what, you know, this person I'm talking about, this is like above and beyond extra. And then they start like gravitating. They just kind of hang out slowly lurking around that seat. They don't like sit down, but they're just waiting cautiously. And then the... The, the host says, all right, it's time to eat, dinner, serve. And he's like, oh, well, this seat's open. I'll just, I'll just sit here because I just happen to be standing here. And so the person sits down in that seat. And Jesus says in this parable, if you do that, those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And what's going to happen is there's actually somebody who's more distinguished than you there. There's somebody who is the person of honor. There's somebody who this banquet is for. There's somebody who is closer with the host. So don't be surprised if the host embarrasses you in front of everybody and tells you to move on down the table. And you end up sitting at the place of least importance. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. All summer, we've been dealing like, with really convicting texts. Between James and Luke, I brought the memes in this morning to provide a little bit of humor. But like Jesus doesn't mess around with trying to like, make everybody feel better, does he? Sometimes Jesus does have words of compassion. We pull from those about how the kingdom of God is at hand and how he told the, the, um, the, the criminal on his side, today you'll be with me in paradise. But most of the time in the Gospels, Jesus' words are full of conviction. We've been living in that for like 10 weeks, just conviction, conviction, conviction. And to me, this text is very similar. We come back to the lectionary, and surprise, surprise, Jesus is still trying to tell people, quit thinking of yourselves more highly than you ought. You are not as awesome as you think you are. Those who exalt themselves. Will be humbled. But those who humble themselves will be exalted. It's almost like Jesus is saying, Why do you have to consider yourself better than everybody else? Why do you think everybody else is beneath you? Who do you think you are that you deserve the place of honor? This kingdom. Jesus speaks about, it's not about privilege for the elite. He says, when you actually, when you throw a banquet, this is the second part of the text. He says, when you you throw a banquet, don't invite the people that can pay you back. Don't just consider the people who you want to impress. If you're so concerned with wealth, and status, and influence, and power, you will be humbled. But instead, invite those who might not have anything to offer you. Somebody once told me that we are the average of the five people we spend the most time with. I thought that was clever. It's just a fancier way of saying, you are the company you keep. You will reflect the behavior of your closest circle. You will speak like those you spend the most time with. You oftentimes will think like the people who are within your sphere of influence. Essentially, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Who are you inviting to your party? Who are you spending time with? Who are you trying to impress? Are you the one who's a little bit extra? You want to stand out in that crowd at work? You want people to notice how good you are at your job? You want a potential love interest to notice you? You want some potential client to choose you over somebody else? And so you you go above and beyond. Like, hey, look at me, look at me. I'm awesome, I'm awesome. And then you probably spend your time with people doing something very similar. If we were the average of the five people we spend most time with, somebody spends time with you. And so it's like we perpetuate this this rat race of approval. These social constructs that say, like, everybody has to stand out. It's like the epitome of social media right now, right? How many likes can I get? How much influence can I have? How much money can I monetize from this? And so we have just this culture that pushes us to say, it's all about me. I'm awesome. Me, me, me. And then if we do that, and the people we spend the most time with do that too, it just snowballs over and over again. So what was Jesus's suggestion? What if you spent time with people who were not trying to sit at the head of the table, who didn't even feel like they belonged there? He actually says, you will be blessed if you invite these people. I think sometimes we misconstrue that. I think sometimes we think that the blessing will come in the form of like, well, God will give me things, money. God will give me a new house if I'm nice to people who are less well off than I am. God will give me the mansion in the sky, you know, throwing the lumber up to heaven. God will give me an A on my test if I'm nice to my classmate. But when he says you will be blessed, when I read it again, I thought, you know what the blessing actually is? In my mind, the blessing is actually the time you get to be influenced by those people you spend time with. It's not some future blessing, some things you will get. If you take time to spend time with people who aren't trying to vie for attention, who are not just trying to show you how nice their house is, or who invites you over so that you invite them over, you know what ends up happening? The five people you spend time with, they're gonna be your average, can transform who you are just by being around them. The blessing is not that you'll get some reward for being a good person, the blessing is you get to be around people who help you feel loved, appreciated, thankful, worthwhile. I don't know what this looks like specifically in your world. I don't know what banquets you're throwing. I don't know who you're inviting over to your house. I don't know what's going on in your lives. And I'm not necessarily saying, all right, you can no longer invite your friends over to your house. I'm still going to, you know, ask my friends to come have fellowship with me. But when you look at the people you spend the most time with, how are they influencing your life? And how are you influencing theirs? Are y'all competing to sit at the place of honor? Do you like each other enough to be around each other so that they can see how great things are for you? Are you spending time with people who are adding value to your experience and to whom you are adding value to theirs? Are you affirming? Are you authentic? Authentic, that's such an important word for me. You know, during seminary, I spent one year working on the chaplain staff at Gwinnett Medical Center. It was there that I learned I was not called to be a hospital chaplain. (laughs) These people that are hospital chaplains, these hospice nurses like my wife, I I have the utmost respect for. Dealing with pain and trauma, all of you who work in the medical field, just the emotional toll that takes, it's, it's crazy. We would get cold calls like, so we're sitting in the chaplain's office and somebody would say, hey, um, this person asked for a chaplain. Can you go to their room? And we would never know what it is beforehand. And it wasn't like going to the hospital here. Typically when I come visit you, we've got some you know, common things to talk about. We've got preexisting relationships. I feel fine doing those things, but going into a room, not knowing what to expect was so terrifying to me at times. It was just heavy. Sometimes I'd walk in there and somebody would have a cold. Other times I'd walk in there and they would be dying of cancer and I had no family. You never knew what to expect, and so it, it was tough for me. I don't, I, y'all, I told you, I'm sorry. It was tough for me because it was just emotionally too heavy. But now that I'm not doing it, I actually look back on something I failed to appreciate. You know what I noticed about being a hospice chaplain or being a hospital chaplain? Is that there is never a more vulnerable and authentic moment then I when I go to visit somebody in the hospital because it's hard to get your makeup on or to put on your best suit or to pretend to be anything you're not when all that's stripped away and you're lying in a hospital bed and I never have any more authentic moments with people than whenever I go to that place and it is now one of my favorite things about being a pastor It's one of the things I consider one of the the best privileges of my ministry. Um, Not because of anything I do. Not because I'm able to... Obviously, I can't offer any physical help, cure. I have no experience. Blood grosses me out, all of it. But it transforms me to be with somebody who is so authentic and real and vulnerable and in a position that says, like, hey, I can't offer you anything, I can't give you status or power just by being here with me. it's like when all that's stripped away, what we have is a real relationship. I remember visiting somebody one time and I walked into his room and I'd never met him before. This really big burly guy and he just asked for a chaplain. And I walk in and, and he's just got this big beard. He's been there for a long time. And on his forearm is tattooed thrill kill. And I was like, all right, see how this goes. But what I found was somebody who just had no one else to visit him and just wanted somebody to talk to. He told me about his past, and it was definitely checkered and troubled. But in that moment, that wasn't what defined him, wasn't who he was. He was just lying there bare, you know, saying, I, I just want somebody to talk to. I wish our banquets could have that. I wish our church when we visit each other in McGowan Hall could have that. I wish our business meetings, our social gatherings, our civic organizations could have that love of authenticity that just says, hey, I'm not looking for anything from you. I just want to be with you. What can I offer you that you don't have to repay? I think that's what Christ's parable is trying to call us to be, is to be a people who aren't looking to take advantage, who aren't looking to be the best and the